Amen. Good morning, Livingstones Church. It is great to be with you today. Great to have uh, those of you who are in the room with us to, to be here. The worship team, thank you guys very much. You did an incredible job. We're grateful for a uh, very talented uh, worship team that we have. We have obviously multiple teams that, that rotate, and I'm just so grateful for each and every one of them that come and serve us and lead us in worship each morning. So it is great to, to be on here with you this morning. Uh, as, as I tell you guys every Sunday, uh, since we're not here, if you're not here in the room with us, make sure you say good morning to your church family. Say hi to everybody. Wish them a, a Merry Christmas and uh, just let them know how much you miss them, how grateful you are uh, that they are joining uh, with us today as well. Um, also, you can uh, hit the share button with this and just try to share this with your friends. Just try to let this be an encouragement to them during this time of year as well. You can also check in on our LSE app. Let us know that you're joining us online. Um, again, we're just so thankful that you are here with us this morning. It's our pleasure just to serve you and to love on you in any way that we can. I have a few announcements that I'm going to share with you before we get into our message this morning. Our first announcement is uh, about Give 2020, and uh, we've been so excited uh, about this uh, so far this year. It has been a great time that this last, uh, this last week we began are uh, just blessing the 225 teachers and staff at both Riley High School and Monroe Elementary School. And uh, we, we took them donuts on Monday, and we got to pray with them and pray over them, uh, it, the, the staff and the administration there. Um, they got some uh, really cool Southside uh, Teacher Pride car decals this week. We gave them some goodie bags that just had a lot of uh, fun things that'll help get them through, hopefully, uh, this this winter and COVID season that they are in right now. And this coming week, we're going to be doing a, a, a nice catered lunch for all 225 teachers and staff. We're providing a coffee bar. We're having a, a cookie bar as well um, for for the staff there. And, and man, it's just been tremendous to bless uh, the, the teachers and the staff at these two schools and just let them know that they are valued, that they are loved, that they are appreciated. And, uh, and let me tell you, just I know how much they... Uh, they love and appreciate everything that, that we are doing as a church, uh, just in showering them. And so far, we've raised just a little bit under $3,000 for Give 2020. Um, our, yeah, that's exciting. That, that's, a, that's good. We have, we have a little bit under uh, two weeks to go, and our, our goal that we had set was $5,000. So we're, we're more than halfway there right now. And so if you've not done so already, I want to encourage you to make sure that you uh, pray, that you talk as a family, and figure out what, what can you do to contribute, what can you do to financially uh, support Give 2020 as, as we just love on these teachers. Um, also, just as a, as a way of participating outside of just the monetary donations as well, that this Thursday we're going to be doing a Christmas Carol flash mob um, at, at both Monroe and Riley and in the afternoon to end the school day. For them, we're going to meet at Monroe at the parking lot that's um, off of Fellow Street at 3 o'clock on Thursday and at Riley at 4 o'clock in the parking lot that's directly to the north of the school. Um, I just want you to know that our, our church is making a difference, and, and you guys are a huge part of that, and I just, want to, I just want to thank you. I want to thank everybody that has given so far, everybody who is going to give uh, for for just this, uh, this very special project that we're doing just to love and to bless all of the the teachers, the, the staff, the administration, you guys are making a difference. And I just want you to know that the, uh, uh, the staff and the, the teachers, they, they love and appreciate you and are so grateful for all that you are doing for them. Um, also, uh, as, as you guys received uh, about two weeks ago, that we had, 
we, we delivered the Advent guides to each and every family uh, who is on our, our roster here, and I hope that you guys are participating in uh, our, our Advent, our daily Advent readings that we're doing, the devotional thoughts, then there's uh, discussions along with that a, as well. Um, and, and I'll tell you, if, if you are participating, I'd encourage you, just chime in online in the comments and just let, let, let us know that you guys are, are finding value in this. Let us know what, what's been helpful to you. Uh, so far with, with the Advent Guide, I, I know for our family, we've had a lot of really good discussions. We've had some really good conversations uh, amongst the six of us, and, and we, we tried to tailor the, the conversations and the discussions so that you could involve your kids. It could be just for adults, and it's really something there for everybody. And obviously, you know, I, during this Christmas season, we would much rather have been all of us gathered together in one space, but with that not uh, being available to us right now, uh, we're, we're trying to find some of those ways to still stay connected during this Advent time. So having our, our whole church family do the, the Advent guide together. But not only that, we also have our, our Cultivate Facebook group that we have uh, been posting something daily, just kind of a, a daily thought, a daily devotional in the, in the Cultivate Facebook group um, just to kind of stimulate some, some more conversation, stimulate some thoughts with you. And, and if so if you're not a part of our, our Cultivate Facebook group, um, all you have to do is you just search for Cultivate South Bend Living Stones, and we'll add you to the group. And, and I want to encourage you, if, if you are part of the group, chime in. Share your thoughts, share your ideas, you know, be, be an encouragement to the rest of, of your church family through all this as well. And then um, a, a final way that we have really to be connected during this Advent time is we're doing a twice-a-week Zoom call, both on Thursday nights and on Sunday nights as well. So Thursday nights are at 7 o'clock, Sunday nights are at 5 o'clock. And and really what we're doing in these Zoom calls is just having some conversation, just being able to see some of our church members face-to-face -face and just having some conversation about what, what, the, the, what this Advent season has been meaning to you and um, trying to provoke some, some questions and some thoughts for you. And so um, you can follow our, our Facebook posts that have the links on there. All you have to do is click on those at, at 7 on Thursdays, 5 o'clock on Sunday night. So I hope to see you on our Zoom group tonight. And then finally, one last announcement to share with you is about our Christmas Eve services. Um, normally, uh, you know, we would be having a, a big Christmas Eve service that we would be excited and gearing up for uh, and having everybody gather together in person. Um, even though we're not going to be gathering in person for Christmas Eve, we are still going to do a Christmas Eve service right here live on our Facebook page at 7 o'clock on December 24th. It's going to be a great time of worshiping our Savior. We're going to enjoy a short word. We're going to sing some, sing some Christmas songs. And to make this a great event, we actually really need all of your help as well. That, that we hope you that, you that you saw our Facebook post that we put out on Thursday. And, so, and, and if, you, if you missed it or, or you need a refresher, I'd encourage you to go back and find that post from Thursday. But what we want to do is kind of do a virtual candlelight service. And, and what, we, what we're asking everybody to do is you or you and your family to take just a short few second video uh, of you passing the lit candle from, the, from your right over to your left. And, and again, we kind of put a, a short video together on that Facebook post to demonstrate to you what, what, this, what this can look like. And, and really what we want to do is, is, is we, we want to have our entire church family passing a candle uh, along, and we're going to put a, a big video together as, as we play some music behind. It's going to be a, a great time. And so after you shoot that, that short video, again, you, you can go to the Facebook page and um, get the details on that, but send it to us, and we're going to put that all together, again, for that, that uh, 
that special video for our Christmas Eve service. So we do need that video returned to us by December 20th. So you have one week from tomorrow to sh shoot a, a short three-second video. So I think you can probably cram three seconds in, in your week somewhere over the next over the next week. But get that to us, and we're, we're excited to share that with you guys on Christmas Eve. It's going to be a fun, a fun night together, as we always as we always have. So with that, we are going to take up our regular morning tithes and offerings. Um, I, you guys know that we've been doing it differently. You can go online to our website. You can give digitally online. You can give through our LSC app. Uh, if you're here in person, we have the boxes at the back of the worship center. You can either drop off your giving here to the church. You can mail it. But, but we just want to thank you again just for allowing us to do ministry uh, here in, in South Bend. Your, your giving, your tithes make what we do possible. And, and so we just want to thank you for that. So with that, let's pray, and then we will get into the word this morning. So, Father, we just want to thank you, God, for your incredible goodness, your faithfulness to us. God, that you, you are a, a tremendous provider. You are so good to us all the time. And, and even though we can't gather together all in the same room right now like we all would love to do during this time of year, God, we know that you are still present with us, Lord. You're present here in the room. You're present where, wherever people are watching, in their bedroom, in their living room, in the basement, wh wherever they are. God, we know that you are present with us, Lord. And, and I just pray, Father, that your presence will be made known. God, that, that we're going to be able to, to, to tangibly feel and experience you this morning, Lord, that you would prepare our hearts to hear from you today. God, that you would challenge us, that you would shape us and mold us to become more and more like you. So God, I just pray that you would just bless the remainder of our time that we have here this morning. God, we love you, and we thank you, God, so much for who you are and what you're doing in and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're, we are continuing our series today that we are calling An Unexpected Christmas, An Unexpected Christmas. And, and I've, I find this very appropriate, obviously, with uh, all that this year has been for us. We've uh, had to face a lot of unexpected things in our world this year. And, and in this series, we're taking a look at some of the different characters that were a part of the very first Christmas story, people that got unexpectedly caught up in the birth of Jesus. Last week, we talked about Mary and Joseph and, and how, uh, they, they had, how they said yes to God, that they had all kinds of thoughts and dreams and ideas and plans for their life. And yet when God unexpectedly interrupted their life, they were willing to say yes. They were willing to follow and, and yield themselves and put themselves second to what God had for them in their lives. And, and so this morning, the character that we're going to talk about actually isn't even mentioned in the Bible. We don't know his name. The, the, the character in, in the, the story of the birth of Jesus that we're talking about is actually never mentioned once in scriptures. That's just a teaser for you. We're going to come back to him in just a moment. But, but I wanted to, to share with you just kind of something that happened with me just a few months back uh, that kind of will, will help illustrate this a little bit. So back in early September, many of you guys know that uh, I took a, a backpacking trip to Wyoming with a good friend of mine, and, and he's a fellow pastor. His name is Carl. And, and really what our backpacking trip for this year actually came out of an idea that I had like over five years ago that before I was like 35 at the time. And I had this idea that the year that I turned 40, I wanted to hike all 200, 211 miles of the John Muir Trail out in California. That, that that was my dream. And it takes about, it takes approximately three weeks to do to hike all 211 miles. Um, but unfortunately, I don't have three weeks to give. 
And, and I don't know how much my wife would have appreciated me deserting her for three weeks and, and not having any cell reception or signal or any way for her to contact me or, or anything. So, so what Carl and I decided to do is we were going to shorten it. We were going to just hike the last third of it, the last 70 miles of the, of the trail, and that was going to take us approximately one week to do. But with all the wildfires that took place, it doesn't seem like a crazy year. Like, does anybody remember there were like wildfires that were ravaging California this year? And, but with all the wildfires that were out there, we, we ended up not being able to go out to California. So what we did is we went to Wyoming for our plan B. And I, I, don't, I don't know how many of you are, you know, know much about backpacking or are familiar with it, but thankfully we've progressed quite a ways in over the years to make it an enjoyable time. I, I brought with me this morning my, uh, my backpacking pack here. And and really, you know, like, I, I carried everything I needed for this entire week on my pack. I have my tent here strapped to the bottom. In this uh, peg here, I have my, my sleeping bag. And then inside, I got my, my trekking poles. I have, uh, you know, water bottles. I got my clothes. Water bottle here. Um, obviously, I have my sleeping pad, uh, a cover for my backpack in case it rained. I have water filter kit. I have my stove. I, I mean, I, I have my, my bear canister. You have to keep a week's worth of food in a, in a bear canister so the bears don't get it. And I mean, it, it's you, my, my whole pack weighed about 45 pounds when I, uh, when I had it fully loaded for the week. And, uh, and let me tell you, carrying 45 pounds on your back for an entire week, like, it, it gets pretty darn heavy after, uh, after a while. And and so, like, for, for some people, like, the idea of doing, like, a backpacking trip like this is, is exciting. And you're thinking, wow, that, that would be a lot of fun. That would be, that would sound great. But I also know there's an awful lot of people that look at that and think, why in the world would you do that? Like, society has progressed quite enough. Like, we have beds we can sleep in. Like, why would you want to go and do that, having no, no bathroom, no shower for a week? There's an awful lot of people that would just say, oh, no, no thanks. I, I'm out. But... Our, our, our original plan to hike this 70 miles is, is about as long as the trip that Mary and Joseph had to take when they went, went from Nazareth to Bethlehem, that the distance between Nazareth and Bethlehem was a little over 70 miles. And, and they had to do this. They had to make this trip right before Jesus was about to be, about to be born. And so I, what I want to do is I want to share with you from Luke chapter 2, and we're going to kind of talk a little bit about this journey that, that Mary and Joseph took between Nazareth and Bethlehem. So we're going to start the first five verses in chapter 2 of Luke's gospel. It says, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place with Quirinius while Qu Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to, to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Now, now as, you, as you may know, like at the time, Israel was under Roman rule. They were part of the, the Roman Empire. And every 14 years, Rome issued a census, that they did a census, and they, they, they did this for both military and tax purposes. And so everybody who, who was in the, the Roman Empire, they had to go back 
to the, the city of their fathers. The men had to go back to the city of their fathers, and they had to record their name, their occupation, their, their property, their family, and they had to, they had to count. And the, again, this was done for both military and for taxing purposes. And while Mary was nine months pregnant, they had to make this 70-plus mile journey from their home in Nazareth, where they lived, to go back to Bethlehem, which was the, the land that Joseph's forefathers were from. Now, now, ladies, just come on and just think about that for just, just a moment. That, that I, I know none of you would have been down for a long 70-plus overland trip like this, being nine months pregnant. Like, when, when you feel like you're ready to burst, like, they, they didn't have, like, nice backpacks, sleeping bags, sleeping pads, all that kind of stuff like I had for, for my 70-mile trip. Like, I, I remember for, for my wife, Angela, at, towards the end of her pregnancies, like, she couldn't even get comfortable in our own bed much less like sleeping outside on the ground under the stars. I, I mean, you talk about a miserable situation. Th- this was it. And while this would never have been Mary and Joseph's choice, they would never have thought, I mean, what a great idea. Let's, let's take a 70-mile trip right as Mary is about to give birth. While they never would have planned this, it was something that had to take place. It had to take place because th- this actual event was actually prophesied 700 years before Jesus' birth. That the, the prophet Micah in the Old Testament, he wrote and said that the, the Savior was going to be born in Bethlehem. He, he said in, in, in the book of Micah, But you, Bethlehem, are only a small village among all the people of Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are in the distant past, will come from you on my behalf. S- 700 years before Mary and Joseph were, were ever around that Micah prophesied that the Savior was going to come out of and be born in the city of Bethlehem. And and isn't it amazing? Isn't it an amazing thing that God orchestrated and worked all of this out? That the the timing was perfect. That the Roman census would take Mary and Joseph from Nazareth to Bethlehem at just the right time when Jesus was about to be born, just as Micah foretold it was going to happen. And about, because this, this trip took about a week for them to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem after they, they finally made it all the way there. And, and I, I don't know about you, but like for me, like if we've taken like a big road trip together as a family, like as soon as we get to wherever we're going for the day, like I just want to crash. I, I'm, I'm tired. I just want to just like lay down and veg out for a little while. And, and that's after driving, like it, in a minivan. With, with air conditioning and DVD players and snacks and, 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 and a soft, comfortable seat. Like Mary and Joseph, they had to make this, this long trip without any of those things, any of those amenities that make a long trip bearable. And, and I, can, I can imagine how Joseph felt like when they finally arrive in Bethlehem and Mary looks over to him and says, um, it's time. Like now is the time right now. This baby's coming out. We need to find a place and we need to find it now. And, and, and may, maybe, I, I, again, I, I try to like think, I try to like think, all right, what are these conversations? Because there's times that Scripture doesn't include all of the details that we would have loved. Maybe Mary was soft and gentle and kind about it, but I kind of imagine her like when the contractions really start hitting and she starts feeling the pressure that, that she's like starts giving some ultimatums to Joseph and saying, you know, like, if you don't get me off this donkey and find me a place to lay down in the next five minutes, like, we're going to have us some problems here. But, 
And, and obviously, like, th- this was a very uncomfortable thing. Like, Mary had a, a rough time over, over this week-long trip that she was riding on the, on the back of a donkey. But I also imagine about how Joseph might have been feeling about all this in the moment, too. Like, I, like I put myself in, in his shoes as, as a husband, that, that I'm running around trying to find, desperately trying to find this place for my wife, that she's in labor, like we've been traveling for a week, like I, I, don't, I don't know where anything is, I don't know anybody here, and, and I need to try to find some place for my wife to give birth, because there, there were no hospitals, no nurses, no OB doctors, no epidurals, I, and so he couldn't just head to Memorial or St. Joe's, and they would kind of just take it from there. Like, I, he, he comes, and he finally knocks on the door of the inn. And here we encounter the character that isn't even mentioned in Scripture, who unexpectedly got caught up in the story of the first Christmas. And Joseph, he, he comes up to, to the inn, and he frantically knocks on the door and says, do you, do you have any room for my pregnant wife and I? Like, th- this is an emergency. Is there any room, anywhere we can go? And you, you don't have to be, like, a Greek scholar to realize like just how frustrating, how difficult it would have been when he heard the words that there is no room in the inn. There's no room in the inn. Luke records this in verses 6 and 7. He says, While they were there, while they were in Bethlehem, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available to them. Many of us grew up on the King James Version and the New King James Version that says that she placed him in a manger because there was no room in the inn. Now, Scripture doesn't give us a lot of detail uh, here, and scholars have debated for, for centuries about what, what does this actually mean? Like, what, what, was, what was this inn? It, it obviously was not a, a five-star hotel. You know, if, you know, from all the scholarship and stuff that we know, it was probably little more than just like a roadside home that had a room or two available to rent. And Joseph, he, he's frantically trying to find a place for, for him and his wife, for his son to be born, and the innkeeper looks at him and says, I have no room for you. There's nothing I can do for you. I, I have no room for you at all. Like, no, no doubt in this moment, Mary and Joseph were not exactly feeling Christmas cheer. They, they were probably not meditating about all the encouragement and the good tidings that had come nine months before when the angel Gabriel came in and shared with them the incredible news that they were going to be the parents of the Son of God. Like, I, I put myself in their shoes, and I imagine the frustration that they were feeling. Like, this is not how it was supposed to be. Like, the, the, we're, I'm carrying the Messiah. I'm carrying the Son of God, and I can't even find a place to give birth to Him. Like, I, I'm, I'm away from home. I'm away from my family. Nothing about this is right. And yet when they said yes to God's plan, they likely didn't think that, they likely didn't know that it was going to entail a 70-plus mile journey on the back of a donkey while she was nine months pregnant. Nor when they arrived in Bethlehem did they anticipate or assume that they were going to have no place to give birth to their son. But, he, but here they were. Like, this is where they're at. And, and I've often found myself wondering about this mysterious innkeeper. Again, he, he, the innkeeper, he, it's never, he's never mentioned even. It's just said that there was no room at the inn. But, but presumably, there was somebody at the door that gave Mary and Joseph the bad news. You know, there, there, there was, you know, uh, there was somebody there, even though, even though he's not listed by name. You know, and, and Luke, he, he doesn't describe a specific innkeeper, 
But when they arrived at the Bethlehem Hilton, you know, and he's pointing to the no vacancy sign, like there, there was obviously a person here. And, and I've thought my, to myself about, about this, this person, this individual, who had to turn away Mary and Joseph. Like th- this night, it's, it's been written about, it's been sung about for 2,000 years. You know, the, the place where God entered the world. He, he put on human flesh. He began the story of redeeming all of humankind. And there have been paintings and sculptures and, you know, countless nativity scenes. And we sing the song, Silent Night, or O Little Town of Bethlehem. But in this moment, like this beautiful, incredible night, there may have been no room for him at the inn. But the innkeeper did offer what he had available. He offered a a stable, a a place for for sheep and horses and, and livestock. And again, there's also been a fair amount of debate as, all right, so what did this, what did the actual birthplace of Jesus look like? You know, what was it, was it a cave? Was it a grotto? Was it a, a, a barn? No, nobody really knows what it looked like. But, but regardless, we can all agree that it was, it was a pretty crude place for the king of the world to enter in. And, and I find it really interesting that, that the, the meticulously detailed gospel writer Luke like he, he wrote the Gospel of Luke, he wrote the book of Acts. He he records, you know, all these all these details about Jesus' life and details about the early church. And he makes a very clear point, a very clear statement that says that there was no room in the inn. That the that the God who had made the entire world had what Luke would later say, no place to even lay his head. No place to lay his head. The Son of God, the King of the world the one who like spoke the world into existence, who breathed life, was now all of a sudden vulnerable. He was cold, he was crying, and he was needy. He, he, Jesus entered this world as, as a human. And th- this week, our, our staff, we were, we were discussing and talking about a book that we've been reading together, and we were talking about Jesus' humanity, that he was fully God, but he was also fully human. That, that he, he was a fully human baby. He, he fussed. He, he needed his diaper changed. He wanted to be fed. And, and I was sharing with our staff, like the, the, the one line in, in A Way in a Manger that just drives me nuts is the cattle are lowing, the poor baby wakes, the little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. And I was, I was thought, are you kidding me? Like, uh, of course he cried. Like, crying he made. He, he, was, he was very much a human baby. He was totally human, and he felt, and he experienced, and he, and he went through all the same things that you and I do as humans. Paul, Paul writes about this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 and 8. He, and Paul writes, he says, Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. What, what Paul's saying here is, he's saying, all right, Jesus, he could have done anything he wanted. He was the Son of God after all. But he never used his position as being the Son of God to his own advantage. He never used it to, to, uh, to bless himself, to, to enrich himself in any way possible. In fact, he always did the exact opposite. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, becoming human just like you and I, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. I mean, do, do, you, do you 
Do you hear what Paul is saying in, in these verses? That Jesus could have entered the world in any way that he chose. He could have been born in, in, in a palace. He could have been born in, in, in the best circumstances possible. And yet, Jesus made himself nothing. He made himself one of us, just like you and just like me. Like that, that's, what, that's what the incarnation means. That script, Scripture teaches that without the shedding of blood, without death, there is no forgiveness of sins. And Jesus took on human form. He took on human form and all of its frailties and vulnerabilities so that he could live a sinless life and offer his body as a sacrifice for us all. But, but back to, back to our, our mysterious innkeeper here, that he had no room available in, in his guest room. There was, there, was, there was no room available in his guest house. And so this, this, young, this young couple who had traveled from Nazareth had to make their bed and have their baby in a stable. In a, in a barn. And when, when our innkeeper, when he kind of closes up shop for the night, he blows out the candles, he, he's putting things away, tidying up, shutting, shutting the books, locking all the doors and all this, he had no idea in that moment that the most miraculous birth in human history was taking place right outside his door, in his very stable. That this, this young couple that came knocking at his door, the, the frantic man who, who was looking for a room, like, I, I, he probably looked and smelled terrible after, you know, a 70-mile journey. Like, in, in, in the innkeeper's mind, like, what made this guy any different from the, the dozens of other folks I've had come knocking at my door over all these days? They, they were just a disruption. They, they were an inconvenience. They were, they were a problem that the innkeeper had never planned for. And yet, here they showed up right at his door. The Savior of the world was right at his door, and he didn't, he didn't even realize it. And, and oftentimes, that's how God enters our life. He enters our life maybe when we aren't expecting it. Then the, the maybe, maybe when we haven't, haven't planned for it. That, that God often enters our life, and it can be a disruption to, to things that are going on. I mean, if you think about it, God came knocking at the innkeeper's door very much like he had at Mary and Joseph's, in Mary and Joseph's life nine months before. He entered the life of a of a shepherd boy who was out tending his father's sheep and he's, he's called into the house and this old prophet pours oil over his head and whispers to him that he's going to be the next king of Israel. He, he, entered, he unexpectedly entered the, the life of a pagan farmer who was, who was just minding and tending his sheep and he was told by God to leave everything and to take his wife and go to a land called Canaan. God unexpectedly entered the, the life of a fallen prince who was working on the backside of the desert and he appears to him in a flaming, in a flaming bush. He says, I want you to go to Egypt. He also unexpectedly entered the life of a high-ranking member of the Sanhedrin, that he was, he was going to Damascus to, to, to kind of put down a, th this religious cult when Jesus met him in a blinding way as he was leaving Jerusalem. That Jesus often comes after us. He often comes knocking at our door in very unexpected ways and at unexpected times. And what the innkeeper didn't know was that this night was going to be no accident. Like that, that Caesar had called the census. Joseph and Mary had made the, the decision to walk 70 miles from, from Nazareth to Bethlehem. That e even the overcrowded nature of his, of his inn, of his guest house, none of it was coincidental. None of it at all. They were all a part of God's divine plan to save the world. 
He had no idea that the, the cattle trough that he had in his, in his barn that he probably never gave any thought to was actually going to be holding the Savior of the world, the Son of God. He didn't, he didn't know the whole story. But what he did do, what the, what the innkeeper did do, is he offered what he had. And what he had was, was a stable. It was a barn. And, and it's tempting with, with the hindsight of 20 centuries to, to kind of judge and to criticize where you're thinking, like, couldn't you have found better accommodations than this? Like, like surely any of us, like, we would have offered our own bed to, to a pregnant woman who had just traveled 70 miles. But before we judge, let's make sure to examine our own hearts about this because we too are often unexpectedly disrupted by, by Jesus. That, that often we, we, can be, we can be pious or religious up to the point that it actually, that it actually costs us something. Like we, we can often want Jesus that forms and fits around our, our priorities and, or that we can sprinkle around our own agendas. But, but God invades our life. He disrupts our plans. He comes knocking at, at our door. And he asks us to, to leave our nets and to follow him and to drop our ambitions and join his mission. To, to leave behind our idols and to worship him with complete devotion. Like when we least expect it in our life, that's when Jesus fully comes. He invades our lives. He, he, he goes where there is no room and asks us to make a place for him. That's what happened with the innkeeper this night. He had no room, and yet he still made a place for the birth of the Son of God. And ultimately, even though these, these were far from perfect accommodations for him, the innkeeper made room, and, and, as, and as flawed as it was, he gave and offered what he had. And what he had, what he offered, was perfect for the plans that God had. And, and when you stop and think about the, the unexpected story of, of this first Christmas, I want to I just pause and stop and think about our own lives for just a moment. Like, let, let's ask ourselves, what do I have? What, what, what do I have? Like the innkeeper, as, as, like I said, as imperfect as it was, he gave what he had, and God used it for his glory. He gave a, a, a stable, he gave a barn, and God ended up using it for his glory. And, and it makes me think, what can I offer to God for his purposes? What, what do I have? What can God use to bring him glory? What, what can I share and give away? Well, one of the passages that always encourages my heart every time I read it is a conversation Jesus has with his disciples as they're watching people put money into the, into the collection, into the, into the offering. And I'm going to read to you from Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, The Message. And it says, Sitting across from the offering box, he, meaning Jesus, was observing how the crowd tossed money in for the collection. Many of the rich were making large contributions, and one poor widow came up and put in two small coins, a measly two cents. Jesus called his disciples over and he said, the truth is that this poor widow gave more to the collection than all the others put together. All the others gave what they'll never miss. But she gave extravagantly. She gave what she couldn't afford. She gave her all. Like, here's this poor widow who has nothing in terms of earthly possessions. No, nothing whatsoever. And they're watching all these, these rich and these wealthy men come and, and they're putting large offerings into the collection. 
And this widow comes forth and she puts in just two cents. She, she gave what she had. She, she gave all she had. And Jesus was so impressed by that. He was blessed by that. And, and, he, and he used it. He used it to teach his disciples. He used it to make a point that, that this poor widow, again, who we don't know her name, has been talked about for centuries because of her faithfulness. She gave what she had. And so my question for us this morning is, what, what do I have to offer? What, what do I have to offer? What can I offer God that he can use for his glory, to grow his kingdom? We, like, and because we all have something to give. Like for, for some of us, it could, it could be our, our talent or our, abil- our ability. It could be finances. It could be encouragement, creativity, love. Like we, we've all been given something that we can give away for God to use. But just as the innkeeper gave what he had, as flawed as it might have been, God used it as a part of his master plan. And I shared with you last Sunday that, that God is... He's the master painter. Like, he's creating this beautiful masterpiece that, that, is, that is more breathtaking than anything we could, ever, we could ever imagine. And what can we offer up to him? What can we offer up to the artist who's making this incredible masterpiece all around us? I want to close with this final verse, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Peter writes, he says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. That, that we've all been given gifts by God. Every one of us have been given something. And when we offer it up to Him, when we, when we say, God, you can use me, you can use anything I have. It's all for you. I'm putting myself second before you. That's when God is pleased. That's when God is blessed. That's when God can do some incredible things. That He can take a, a, a terrible barn a stable filled with manure and livestock. And the most incredible birth in all human history took place with just that, that small offering. This is what I have. And God used it for his glory. Let, let's search our hearts. Let's ask ourselves, what do I have to offer to God today? So if you would, bow your heads with me and let's pray. Father, thank you, God, for your incredible gifts, your incredible graciousness, Lord, that, that you have given each of us something, Lord, that, that we've all been given different gifts. We've all been given different things. And God, just as the innkeeper, Lord, even though we don't know the innkeeper's name, we don't know much of, of his story whatsoever, he offered what little he had. He, he offered up a, a barn, a stable. And a beautiful thing happened. Lord, that you used that, that, that imperfect place. You used that, that dirty, smelly, awful place and your son was born there. God, what an incredible gift. And God, if, if you can take something like that and turn something completely beautiful out of it, Lord, what, can we do, what, what more can you do when we offer you what we have? The gifts that we have, our talents, our, our, our abilities, our, our finances, our, our, our encouragement, whatever it is we have, God, that when we turn it over to you, God, that you're going to turn it and make something beautiful out of it. Lord, that's what I see from this story. And God, that's what I want to see for us as Living Stones Church. God, that we're just a humble people who, who humbly offer and give you what, what it is that we have. And God, I ask you to, to make something of it. To take our, our little gift, our two cents that we put in the offering. Father, that you would use it to grow your kingdom, to advance your gospel, to encourage your people, 
Lord, to bring you glory. God, that, that's what we want. That's what we want to see. That, that's who we want to be as a people. That's who we want to be as a church. Church that, 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 that gives. Radical generosity. That's, that's what I want to see for Livingstone's church. God, that you would use what little we have, the, our five loaves and our two fish. God, that you would feed multitudes with what we give to you. So Father, I, I just pray that you would help us, that you would search us, Lord, and help us to find what is it, God, that you've given to us that you can use for your glory. God, we willingly give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen.